Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hit Like a Girl podcast is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. One thing I love about working with them is that they're mission-driven, which means that they're dedicated to featuring authoritative shows, hosts, and guests who take on the tough topics in healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. If you're looking for bingeable content related to the healthcare industry, they've got more than 8,000 episodes on demand waiting for you. From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. I'm Joy Rios, and today I'm talking with Eden Brownell. She's the engagement specialist at Impulse and an expert in behavioral science, user design, and public health. Her work helps healthcare organizations adjust their efforts to meet the health needs, confidence levels, and cultural sensitivities in meaningful ways for their patients, essentially reimagining health engagement for the modern age. Let's hear what she's got to say. Thank you, Eden, for joining me. I'm really excited to get this time to get to know you better and your organization. And if you wouldn't mind taking a minute to introduce yourself and your piece of the healthcare IT puzzle. Yeah, so I'm super happy to be here too. My name is Eden Brownell, and I am an engagement strategist at Impulse Mobile, which is sort of like what does that mean? I, on my team, I'm more considered like our lead behavioral strategist. So I really nerd out on all things behavioral science and psychology marketing and really trying to understand, you know, the member and their perspective and things like that to really tailor communications and outreach and solution design to, you know, really how do we change behavior and motivate members? So it's super fun. (laughs) Well, so if I understand a little bit about your the service that Impulse provides, it's a lot of around patient engagement, right? And kind of meeting them where they are. Can you talk to me a little bit about how Impulse engages differently with patients than maybe what has been done in the past? Yeah. So we and myself, I've worked across sort of like 
a lot of different channels and IVR in my past role. And we still do some IVR here and there's email. and But really, I think where we focus and what's a little bit of a change for me that I really love is doing more of SMS communications. And I think that's really relevant to the meeting members where they are because no one likes to answer phone calls anymore. Everyone probably has you know a thousand unread messages in their inbox. And with our SMS technology, we're able to have not even just you know sort of like a one-way message or simple two-way communications. We're also sort of pushing the limits and using natural language processing and ARs that are happening in the background to really respond to members, even if they go, you know, we sort like off script. So, but it's things we plan for. So we know that, you know, we're trying to, if we're driving, trying to get members to get important screenings or or their breast cancer, you know, appointment or uh, something like that. We understand that there's a whole bunch of other things going on in their environment that could be getting in the way. And so we're, we're constantly listening for that type of feedback. And then we have developed in the background responses specific to those. And what we do also is we're constantly analyzing those reports and sort of the members' different you know, statements that they might come back. And if we see something that's happening a lot, we'll, and you know, that's not necessarily one we caught for, we'll go and create it and, and build it back in the system. So I think that's really nice where we're trying to personalize it to, you know, what we're seeing on a whole and, you know, what the research says. And that we're also able to update it and make sure it's reflecting sort of the current, especially when COVID happened, you know, we came up with all sorts of automatic replies around COVID and concerns and things like that. So our system could constantly listen and respond to, you know, whatever was top of mind for the member. I just got an interesting patient notification, literally like within the last 24 hours from, from my healthcare system. And it was a phone call that left a message, but then my message turns into a text. So it came over as an email that I could see the phone number that they wanted me to call. And then they said I had a notification waiting for me. So then I called, I literally just like a few minutes ago, I called, heard the notification and it was a recorded voice. It sounded like of a doctor who was telling me why it's more important to get my flu shot now more than ever. And, you know, if I needed the resources for any of that. And I just thought, how, I don't know, there's a lot of different ways that you can communicate with people, but it seems mm-hmm. that it worked out pretty well because it was on my time. I didn't answer the phone call mm-hmm. when I called, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's been maybe like 24, 48 hours since I got the call. And now I'm like, all right, I feel up to date. So is that something yeah. that you guys do too? Yeah, that's super relevant. (laughs) We try to come up with like preferred time of days for members or preferred communication channels. But like you said, like we might still be in your window, but like you're driving or you're, you know, people are picking up their kids or, or, you know, there's stuff going on. So allowing that, like you said, to sort of pick up on like the journey at your own convenience. And so we do that a lot of sort of delivering messages and then, you know, trying to make the, if we, even if we leave like a, you know, a voicemail that will go to text and stuff, make it as engaging as possible, make sure we're leaving the number. So when it does come through, like you said, as sort of a text, it's clickable. And then we leave that open, that, that line open as, as long as possible. So folks can, you know, dial back in at, 
a time that's best for them. So definitely in our in our wheelhouse. <laughs> well, I thought it was really effective because they even said like this message will be available to you for the next three weeks and then it's going to disappear after that. And I thought, well, okay, a better call because <laughs> <laughs> whatever they're going to tell me. But when things come through SMS, if somebody responds back, it sounds like it's not necessarily just a yes or no. Are they engaging in a conversation with yeah, so it really it ranges on the type of program we're we're um, deploying. Um, so it can be simple yes nos. We can you know have number responses. We and then for more of the automatic replies that are built in the background, you know someone can say, I can't, I don't have a ride to my doctor, and it'll click into our you know sort of transportation benefits that are personalized from the client specific to the member. They could say cost and we'll we'll have something specific to that. And then we really try to steer clear of simple yes nos only because when given an option to say no pe- you know people are going to do it and we're so we try to you know really breadcrumb someone you know deeper into the conversation rather than just allowing them sort of a quick exit. We and you know again you can just not respond. So, so there's always that. We always there's always the ability for members to unsubscribe. I and mean, sort of in our messaging, we make sure that we really talk around choice, and we know that autonomy is a huge thing. So, really, letting you know members steer their own journey in in a bit of a way. Well, and I would imagine that if you have a lot of tasks that maybe somebody needs to accomplish, just giving them one at a time is a little bit helpful so people don't either become overwhelmed or they can just like accomplish a little bit of what they need to to get them on their way to their journey. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much research around that and like how you can sort of, you know, build their self-efficacy and their confidence and their motivation if you sort of break it up more like that. If we, I don't even know, I'll get overwhelmed if I get a notification that it's like I'm due for the screening and I have an annual wellness visit. I'm like, even those two are are a lot. So we really try to be mindful of, you know, sort of cognitive overload and doing as much when it comes to plant like our our health plans, they're trying to accomplish a lot, especially right now we're in the midst of, you know, gap closure season and and you know, they have these they have heatest measures and everything that they're trying to reach. And we just try to be really mindful and sort of really represent the members perspective when we're designing with our clients and you know, we if you're going to have multiple screenings or things that you're that a member is going to be eligible for, we want to prioritize them. So let's, if we can, just like you know, again, start with one. Let's try to get accomplished. Let's follow them through the journey. Let's help them, assist them, and really, if we have members that are more high risk, either because they have multiple open gaps, or we also do some, we do an SDOH analysis. So we might see that they're in a high impact area where they, you know, where we already know that cost or transportation can be a concern. At those times, we really try to prioritize the client's resources to actually get them to like a care manager or someone on their team that can really have a deeper dive with the member and sort of coordinate multiple levels of care opposed to just us trying to get them to do five or six things. So sometimes, you know, if a, we understand that not all of our clients can have resources for their giant population. So how do we really try to, you know, more break those out by risk so that those highest risk members can still get the help that they need? It seems like it's a pretty needed service. I'm sure that I'm sure that your clients are really grateful for everything that you do for them. 
what did you study in order to get into like this kind of work? Yeah, I have a bit of a funky background. So I did my undergrad in... I actually started in theater of all places, which is very random. But I think it was because I really liked studying the characters. I quickly switched though and realized that that was because I loved studying people. So I ended up doing my undergrad in psychology, sociology, and anthropology. I at first thought I wanted to be like a child therapist and work in more of like a one-on-one setting. I did that for about a year and a half and realized I was too close and went home crying a lot. So I have such respect for, for people. I still wanted to work in... Uh, healthcare and helping people. And, but I was like, oh, what do I do in my life now? And, you know, I had to sort of go back, talk to my mentors, look at my network. And I discovered public health, which wasn't a degree for me, like as an undergrad. Now it is for undergrad, but now it's time. More things coming up and getting made all the time. And so I did in, I live in Boston. So I actually went to BU for their public health program and I did a focus in social and behavioral sciences and health technology. And then I do a lot. My my team calls me the private the team nerd because I am always in books and I am trying to find courses online a lot with behavioral economics and behavioral science and its application to healthcare is so new. So a lot of it is just, you know, finding resources as they become available and trying to stay really in the know as it comes along. So I went all over. (laughs) Have there been any resources that stand out to you that are, have just been like, I don't know, allowed you to totally geek out that you're like, Oh, we should, everybody should know this. (laughs) Yeah. I can't speak. I can't give it enough credit. Um, Irrational labs, they have a behavior design course. That's I think about eight weeks. You can kind of do it on your own time. They have check-ins with some of the team over at Irrational Labs. And they're a huge behavioral science team there. And they also recently came out with one that's focused on application to healthcare. So that was really great. I loved just the examples they had and a lot of... It wasn't just constantly things being thrown at you. There was a lot of like, you know, sort of worksheets and activities and and time for you to really think of your own use cases and how you can apply the principles. So I really loved that one. That's great. Well, what are some of the most effective ways to change behavior? I mean, we've talked to quite a few, like, like that's a big deal, right? For, for getting yeah. somebody to have one action and just make a different decision. Going forward, now you're going to do something different. Like, what have you learned or, I don't know. Yeah, I think anyone that's sort of practicing in this area will have their, you know, sort of different answers because it is, people are so varied. I have ranged from using things like, health belief model to more now with behavioral economics and behavioral science, there's a lot more research around biases and things like and heuristics and things that are sort of, we know to be true about most of the population. So I gravitate towards like some of the models, especially where we're dealing at a population level that are focused on more of a population. So I love self-determination theory. I think it's what I tell a lot of folks about. And I done a lot of we had a recent conference and and you know our, our clients are always very interested in how do they how do they apply it to all their other marketing and things that we're not working on. So I always feel like self-determination theory is one of the best 
There's three main principles in it. It's autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And it's sort of under this umbrella of we as humans all have these basic needs. And it comes down to those three. So autonomy is like we like to have choice and control in all of our actions or you know that feeling. And then relatedness is you want to connect with others and, and you know not feel get that one. And then competence is, you know, you want to feel like confident and you have the skills to do something. Using that in messages is can be as simple as, you know, many other members, you know, managing this condition are using these type of processes. You're not alone in this. You know, you have you have some choices around the way you deal with your diet. You here's some tips and tricks to build the self-efficacy. And those things I think are just like inherently, like I said, about all humans. So they are great motivators for all realms of behavior change. <laughs> I like that. I don't I don't think I've well, I'm pretty confident that I haven't studied that before specifically, but I it's easy to remember. So and I definitely relate to it, the idea of autonomy, relatedness, and getting confidence. I think I'm gonna incorporate that into whatever I do from now on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's such a good one. And like you said, easy to remember. It's sort of all of the uh, behavior change models that come out are, are constantly you know, building and borrowing from past ones. So you see a lot of the same ideas come up. And so I really like self-determination theory because I feel like you know when you look at a bunch of the different techniques... It really boils it down in a nice way that's like, oh, like these are in so many and it's and it's really straightforward and not overcomplicated because I think some of them can be like uh, models and this and algorithms and and sometimes you're just gotta you're like you're dealing with people and you need to just have like empathy first. And I think a lot of those are just naturally, you know, considering the human perspective. So Eden, can you tell me what 10-year-old Eden would think about what you do for a living? Like did would to 10-year-old Eden have any idea that you'd be doing what you're doing now? Oh man, she would have no idea. She wanted to be a lawyer <laughs> and go to I was obsessed with Harvard and like I was like my own little like Rory from Gilmore Girls. I just was like, I'm going to Harvard. I'm doing it. I'm kind of, I'm going to get there. And I just like, then I was, I like joined a debate thing and, you know, all these other, and I was like, no, I don't really like arguing with people all day. I don't, I don't think this is, I don't think this is a thing for me. So I, I think she'd be like, also, what the heck is a behavioral science expert? <laughs> She might be confused by your job title. <laughs> it might not yeah. have existed back then. Um, As is my whole family. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you know, it took a really long time. I mean, health IT has been relatively new as far as like careers go. And I have to say that even for the first like five to seven years of me being in this industry, like nobody in my family understood what I was doing. <laughs> it wasn't even something that they could grasp. They're just like, I don't yeah. really understand. <laughs> like you yep. will eventually. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, had, I was home. Well, now holidays are coming up. So I'm sure I'm going to get the same old. And sometimes they're like, you work on apps? And I'm like, sure, <laughs> Uncle Ted, <Yes>. I do. <laughs> Whatever is easier. My dad, every every time I meet up with him. So, so what do I tell my friends that you do for work? And I was home one time with my Graham and we were actually, I was, I was home because I was helping her Oh, talk, you know, thinking of all the healthcare and she had to do a Zoom call for a healthcare visit. So I'd gone home with her to do it with her. And then 
afterwards, I was on a work call talking about IVR and I had it on speaker because she was like, I really want to hear what this is like. And it was just too funny because she afterwards was like, so um, is this kind of what you do? And it's kind of like when I get a CVS phone call sometimes. <laughs> and it was just, it was just the cutest thing of her, like really trying to understand it. And then I hear from other family members that she's off telling people that I make CVS phone calls. So it's, 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 it's funny. <laughs> well, I definitely think that the pandemic has shifted people's understanding of online meetings, right? And like what can happen. And especially with doctor's visits, like a lot of our fans, I remember at the beginning having to teach my mom how to use Zoom. Mm. And so, I mean, and now it's not a thing. Now enough time has passed and she's just like, yep, I'm on it. I got it. Let me, let me open up and create a new meeting or whatever. So interesting, the changes that people have made over the last couple of years. Question about what you would say to 23-year-old Eden. Would you give her any advice as she's like starting her career journey? Yeah, I think that I was a bit of a perfectionist back then. I'm trying to remember myself trying to get straight A's and really focus on all that. I think I would say, okay, to mess up and uh, explore this. I think, you know, we always, you know, just people in general, you know, you you can kind of like try one thing and you really try to make it work and it might not be what like brings you joy. And I think so as much as possible, getting more and more experience and like, you know, to like see all like, there's just so much out there and it's real easy to sort of just work towards a goal without actually doing it. And then I think you can, you can mess up because you work towards it, work towards it. And that's kind of what happened with my undergrad is, you know, work towards it, work towards it. And then I didn't really know what it was until I was doing it. And I was like, oh, I, this isn't me. This doesn't. And, and now, you know, as I explored more of, you know, my network and I really love living on LinkedIn and learning from people, like that was really how I found out about public health and behavioral science. And so I think it's just, yeah, just like explore things and ask people for, you know, advice or, Things like I that's just really helpful. Well, how long did it take? So how long had you been studying or going down a path before you had actually tried out kind of living what it, what that career was going to be? Like, was there a big gap between those two? Yeah. And I would say it's probably a lot to do with like how our, our systems are set up. You know, you, you go off at 18 and you're like, yeah, I want to be a therapist. And you're like, I have no idea what that looks like. I've seen it on like an episode of I don't know, Grey's Anatomy or so, you know, you've seen, you've seen some kind of version of it up until my senior year where I had to do internship. I, I had no actual hands-on experience. And that's when I was like, okay, like this is really great. But I just, I was just crying a lot. <laughs> so I was like, and you wanted to help people, but it was just too close for me. So I was like, I have to go a little bit more macro level. I think that that is like now I got on a career panel the other day with students and they were, and I was just like, go, if you're not doing an internship right now, just go and get one because, or, you know, anything, even if it's just like one day a week or even just copying the thing that you think you want to do just to feel it out. It could be really hard. Oh, maybe, maybe that's not. And all of what I've learned has, you know, helped me to where I am now, but it was definitely a change from where I thought I'd be. 
I know for me, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So having that advice of like trying things out and just seeing what, throwing a bunch of things at the wall and seeing what sticks and feeling like, oh, you learn a little bit from this and a little bit from that. And eventually it all gets kind of sewn together to, you know, make a nice tapestry of your career. But, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't one of those people that knew at 18 what I wanted to do and was like, oh, here's the path that you take. And that can be a little bit scary, but at the same time, it's also exciting. Yeah, definitely. And I just feel like, you know, all the things you see about things that aren't jobs now or that will be in 10 years and so many jobs aren't created yet that will be jobs. And it's just, it's wild to think of. I mean, I think there, you know, there's so much innovation happening and we're in a time right now where you really can be like sort of creative in what your job is, especially now that everything's becoming remote, you know, you're not sort of isolated to where you are. And I think that's amazing for people that might be in a more isolated area to be able to have all that potential. So I think there was, you know, obviously so much bad from COVID, but I try to also find a little, you know, silver lining here and there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there have definitely been good things that have come from this time. It's still a little bit crazy, but yes, some good things have come from it. Is there anything that you're particularly excited about or with Impulse or personally that you think that, you know, is worth sharing? I think with Impulse, what's really great is we're working on more of our sort of core solution offerings and making sure that we're really baking in the behavioral science and all the theory and whatnot into the communications. And I think that sometimes when folks think of that, they're like, oh, is that overly complicated? And it really can come down to just like a few well-placed pieces of content. And so I feel like that's been really exciting on my end is just seeing some of the the things that I like that I've shared and we work on as a team. We have a new thing called um, Improv Studio and it's our weekly like learning brainstorming session that I typically lead and I'll, you know, I'll present new research and new behavioral science topics to because not everyone's everyone's background is different, but it allows for us to all come together and really think on a topic and have all those different perspectives and sort of have a bit of a like design studio, like brainstorm jam where everyone can get creative and then we can see how those those ideas start to come to life in our work. So I really love that creative collaborative process that's happening. That sounds like a fun weekly activity that gives you an outlet for all of the geeking out that you need to do. And then you can get and have like fun, smart, intellectual conversation around like, how do you apply it? Yeah, it's so great. I, in the beginning, we joked actually about wearing our like our silly hats during it because I really wanted it to be something that the team looked forward to. And I've been with the company about five months now. And prior to this, I was at another very similar company doing very similar stuff, but on on phone calls, IVR sort of set up. But it's very important to me as everyone's working from home to like build still that community aspect, especially on a team that's really supposed to be about collaboration. So we, you know, we I talked about having silly hats and now it's something that hasn't no one's let up on. So every week people will joke and come up with, you know, come in with different hats. And a lot of my coworkers have their children and They'll come in with like silly hats from their kids' toy closet or whatnot and like a crown. And it's just, it's really great because I think it just sort of, you know, speaks to the like creative silliness and like just 
like imagination that we want for the session. We don't want it to be like this serious thing. (laughs) I love it. I'm thinking about like my collection of hats right now. I'm like, oh, that would be so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) I should have told us to wear one today. (laughs) I would have have been happy to. I have like an elf hat with the ears and it's like, it's really fun. I love that. (laughs) Well, Eden, thank you so much. If people want to work with you or connect with you, or follow you, where would you direct them? Where's the best place for them to connect? Yeah, I like live on LinkedIn. I get made it fun of pretty often because I'm up before sunrise typically posting on there. It's like if I can't sleep, I'm online reading articles, sharing articles. So yeah, I'd say LinkedIn and it's Eden Brownell and I will be happy to connect with anyone. <laughs> awesome. I will include that in the show notes. So thank you very much for your time today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about us or this guest by going to our website or visiting us on any of the socials with the handle hit like a girl pod. Thanks again. See you soon. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Inc. CMS's merit-based incentive payment system or MIPS is super complex. And if clinicians ignore the program or perform poorly in it, it can result in a hit to their revenue and reputation. Chirpy Bird is proud to say that more than 95% of its clients are exceptional performers in MIPS, meaning they've maximized the score that directly translates into their Medicare reimbursement rate. Chirpy Bird offers their audit-proof services to practices of all sizes through an affordable monthly subscription that includes unlimited access to a regulatory expert who guides them in knowing what data to track, how to create workflows that make capturing that data easier, and ensures that they submit it all to CMS on time and performing at its best. Contact Chirpy Bird today or learn more at chirpybirdinc.com. That's chirpybirdinc.com.